Are you familiar with the five-second rule? Remember, it's the rule that says you can eat food that has fallen on the floor if you retrieve it within five seconds after falling, right? What does the science say about that? Well, according to researchers, as reported in an article on the website sciencemeetsfood.org, the speed and intensity of bacterial contamination of dropped food is determined by three major factors. One, the type and texture of the food, whether it is wet, dry, sticky, flat, porous, etc. Second, the type of surface on which it has fallen, wood, tile, carpet, dirt, etc. And third, the exposure time. How long has it been there? Well, with or without the science, common sense can be relied on in most cases. Here's some examples. Let me ask you. A potato chip. Falling on a recently cleaned tile floor, retrieved within five seconds. Would you eat it or not? Yes. All right. A buttered slice of bread falling butter side down on a carpeted floor, <laughs> retrieved within five seconds, would you eat it or not? No. <laughs> no matter how long it's been there. Unless you're Mike or whoever it was in the back of the room there. How about a slice of fresh watermelon falling in the dirt at the park, retrieved within five seconds? If you're a parent, you've probably chucked a lot of slices of watermelon into the trash can at the park over the years as your little one has dropped it into the dirt. What about a chocolate chip cookie falling on a hard wood floor retrieved within five seconds? Would you eat it? Maybe. That's my answer, maybe, because it would depend on the cookie. No offense, but if it was a Chips Ahoy chocolate chip cookie, it wouldn't be fit to eat even if it had, it had not fallen. <laughs> but if it was a big, fat, chewy cookie from the Freeport Bakery, I might eat it even if it has been on the floor a lot longer than five seconds. <laughs> Bottom line is, I think, that it all depends on the situation, doesn't it? Your squeamish quotient and who's looking. Now here is the next big question. If you are a dog, does the five second rule have any relevance at all about what you will eat off the floor? No, it doesn't. Now why are we talking about this? Well, believe it or not, we're going to be talking about food falling on the floor today in the Bible study. Let's flip over to Matthew chapter 15. We'll pick up in verse 21, Matthew 15, verse 21. It says, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Jesus, he has traveled northwest some 40 miles or so from Capernaum area into the region of Tyre and Sidon. This is outside of the boundaries of Israel. It's in Gentile territory, non-Jewish territory. And it appears that Jesus 
He didn't go into this area for the purpose of public ministry, as we get into the story that will become apparent, but for rest and some private time of teaching his disciples. It wasn't long, though, before his presence is recognized and people begin coming to him. 22, a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. So when a Canaanite woman from those parts hears that Jesus is in, Jesus is in the area, she immediately seeks him out and she pleads with him to cure her daughter. It says her daughter is possessed by an evil spirit. This woman has probably gone to every doctor and holy man she can find desperately trying to find someone able to cure her precious little girl. No one has been able to do anything for her. Now there are a couple of things we want to take note of at this point in the story before moving on. The first is that we're told that this woman is a Canaanite. She is a Gentile. She's non-Jewish. But more than that, Matthew points out that she is a Canaanite a descendant of Israel's ancient enemy in this region. A people known for their idolatry and dark pagan religious practices. The Canaanites, you might remember, had led the people of Israel astray, corrupting their worship of the Lord. Following the practices of the Canaanites had actually led to Israel's downfall and being taken captive by the Assyrians and then the Babylonians. This woman comes from that legacy, seeking out mercy and help from Jesus. This woman calls Jesus Son of David, which we have learned is a title for the Messiah when it appears in Matthew's Gospel. This woman is acknowledging that she believes that Jesus is Messiah, Christ. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus doesn't answer this woman at first. In fact, he ignores her, but she persists, continuing to pursue him, crying out after him, asking him to help her. His disciples, they finally come to him, asking him to send her away. She's making a scene. Please give her what she wants so she'll go away and leave us alone. Jesus tells him that his mission is to the lost sheep of Israel, to the Jewish people. It's not time yet for the blessing and salvation of the Messiah to be extended to people other than the Jews. Verse 25, the woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. See, I told you, food falling on the floor. The woman, she kneels before Jesus and she begs him, Lord, please help me. And Jesus, he finally responds to her plea, giving her a very strange answer. He speaks to her in a riddle, in a parable. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it 
to the dogs. Well, try to imagine first what the disciples are thinking as they watch this interaction take place in front of them. The disciples were probably feeling uneasy about being in Gentile territory to begin with. Jews tried to avoid non-Jewish territory as much as possible in those days, believing they could become defiled by coming into contact with that which was religiously unclean. In this male-oriented culture of that time, women were seen as second-class citizens, and a Gentile woman was on an even lower rung of, so of the social ladder than a Jewish woman. The disciples wouldn't have been comfortable with Jesus speaking to this Gentile woman. It was not proper for a rabbi to do that. It's breaking social taboos in their eyes. Given this mindset, when the disciples hear Jesus respond to this woman with these words, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. They don't fully understand the meaning of what Jesus has said, but they are probably thinking it's a put-down directed at this woman. But as often been the case, the disciples only see what's on the surface. This woman, though, she understands what Jesus is saying, and she responds to him using the same figurative language that he does, extending the parable. So what did Jesus mean? And what did this woman mean with her response? Those are the million-dollar questions here. Jesus says to her, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. The children are the Jews who are the recipients of God's special blessing as his chosen people. Deuteronomy 7, 6, for example, says, for you are a People holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all of the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession, speaking to the Jewish people. The children's bread is the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus, and the benefits of his life and his ministry. God made a covenant promise to Abraham, the forefather of the Jewish people, that the Messiah, the Christ, would come through his lineage. The dogs, they represent the Gentiles, the non-Jews, all the rest of us. Now to head off a potential misunderstanding, I want to point out that Jesus is not making a derogatory statement about Gentiles in this parable. The word used here that is translated dog is the word used to refer to a family pet, a little dog, a puppy. It's not the word for dog that was used when a person meant it in an insulting way, a scavenger dog, a street dog. A similar example in English is this, is if I called you a pup, you probably wouldn't take it as an offense. But if I called you a mangy mutt, you might be insulted. A pup and a mangy mutt are both words for dog, but they carry different connotations. Jesus is saying to the woman that his ministry at this time is directed to the Jewish people, the children. God promised that the Messiah, the bread, 
would come through them. It wouldn't be right to take the children's bread from them and give it to the little dogs of the house. It was God's blessing to the Jewish people that the Messiah would be extended to them first. The time for the Christ and his salvation to be offered to the Gentiles has not yet come. That would happen after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, and we are all living in those days now when all people are invited to come and receive salvation through Jesus Christ. Now this Gentile woman, she responds to Jesus saying, Yes, it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Now, the NIV here, translation of this woman's response, it can be a little misleading, unfortunately, because it sounds like she's disputing what Jesus said, but that isn't really the case. Most of the other English translations do a better job of avoiding that confusion. For example, the ESV reads this way, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. See, the woman understands what Jesus has said, but she suggests that even as the children are being served and cared for, the dogs under the table benefit from the crumbs that fall to the floor. Most, if not all of us, have witnessed the chaos that can ensue at mealtime with a baby who is just learning to feed herself. She dumps the plate of spaghetti on her head. The drink is tipped over. The peas and the carrots are thrown across the room. The cake is smushed with little fingers and scattered. And who benefits from all of that? The family dog, who's licking up all of this delicious stuff that's falling on the floor. Well, that's the picture that this woman paints in her response to Jesus. She says, I understand what you're saying, Lord. I respect my place in God's plan for humanity's salvation. I know your ministry at this moment is to the Jewish people, but even while the children are eating, some of the breadcrumbs fall to the floor where the dogs can eat them, and I'm asking for a crumb. It's not an accident that Jesus uses bread to refer to himself in this parable. Jesus calls himself the bread of life. John 6, 35, for example, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus used bread at the Last Supper to represent his body, and as we took communion earlier today, he took the bread and he broke it and he passed it out to his disciples, and he said, this is my body which is given for you. What does bread become when we break it? Crumbs. The broken bread, Jesus, would fall from the children's table, the Jews, and be a blessing for those under the table, the entire world. This woman reveals in her response a level of spiritual insight that few people had at that time or any time. I mean, how many of us? understood what Jesus was saying here the first time we read it. There's also a beautiful humility expressed in her response, which is very precious to the Lord. She doesn't argue with Jesus. She takes no offense at being a little dog sniffing around for crumbs on the floor rather than one of the children sitting up at the table. 
She has this attitude of gratitude rather than entitlement. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor. He extends grace to the humble. 28, then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Warren Wiersbe wrote about this woman. There were many obstacles in her way, yet she overcame them all by faith and got what she needed. To begin with, her nationality was against her. She was a Gentile and Jesus was a Jew. Besides that, she was a woman. And society in that day was dominated by the men. Satan was against her. For one of his demons had taken control of her daughter's life. The disciples were against her. They wanted Jesus to send her away and let him and them have some rest. For a time it looked as though even Jesus was against her. It was not an easy situation, and yet she triumphed because of her great faith. Jesus assures her that her request has been granted, and it's done. Jesus never saw her daughter, never touched her, didn't give this woman something to take back with her to the daughter. He simply spoke the words, and it would be done. That is some kind of breadcrumb that she received. Amen? And now, we have all been invited not only to get the breadcrumbs, but up onto the table of the king as his children. Isaiah 25, 6 says, On this mountain, Mount Zion, the mountain of the Lord, the kingdom of God, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, Surely, this is our God. We trusted in Him, and He saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in Him. Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation. Amen to that. Well, verse 29, we move into this next story. It says, Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then He went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. This is a beautiful description of the ministry that Jesus is doing among the people. I want us to note the great crowds that are coming to him. Picture the thousands of people gathering around him. And I want us to remember that this is taking place in what we would consider small towns and villages. These gatherings of huge crowds are not taking place in some large city where a crowd of a few thousand people can gather for almost any reason at all. For crowds of this size to be gathering in 
places where Jesus is indicates that there's something phenomenal taking place here. Note that the people suffering from all kinds of things are being brought to Jesus and he heals all of them. There's no thing that's beyond his power. He can heal all. And although we may not be completely healed in this life, we're promised that we will receive new bodies in the next life, free from disease and pain and sin. The people praise the God of Israel, recognizing that what is taking place before them is something that could only come from the hand of God. When we consider all that Jesus did and said, we too realize that this is something that could only come from the hand of God. And we praise and we worship Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the Savior of the world, our great God and King. When we consider all of the amazing things that Jesus did, which no one else has ever been able to do, it's mind-boggling to think that the children threw this beautiful bread on the floor, rejecting Him. But thank the Lord for giving His bread to the dogs under the table. Thank the Lord for inviting all people to come up to His table and enjoy the feast that He's prepared. Amen. 32 says, Jesus called His disciples to Him and He said, I have compassion for these people They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. The majority of these people in this crowd have been following Jesus for three days, it tells us, but they have been so enthralled with Him that they've been unwilling to tear themselves away even to take care of their physical need for food. The charisma of Jesus is highlighted again for us here. There was a magnetism about Jesus that drew people. When people encounter Jesus, they instinctively know there is something different about Him. And you know, it's still true in our day when all of the religious and political and cultural and rigmarole stuff that people slather all over the top of Jesus is removed, we too are drawn to Him. We know instinctively that He is unique. There has never been another person ever like Him, and we want to know Him. It says Jesus has compassion on the people. He cares for them. And I I just want to pause for just a moment and remind us that it's still true today. He is our shepherd. He loves us. He cares about what we're going through. He always has His eye on us. We have not been forgotten. He knows our needs better than we do. He has compassion on us. Well, in verse 33, his disciples respond, where could we get enough food, enough bread, in this remote place to feed such a crowd? Now, if you've been traveling along with us through our study of the Gospel of Matthew, you'll remember that Jesus fed 5,000 men in addition to the women and children in the crowd back in Matthew 14. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Well, Jesus now presents his disciples with a very similar situation. And how do they respond? Do his disciples say something like, well, you know, last time, Lord, we were faced with this 
feeding this huge crowd of people. You took five loaves of bread and two little fish and you multiplied them so that everyone ate as much as they wanted and we had 12 large basketfuls left over. And we're thinking, Lord, do you probably have something like that in mind again? Nope, that's not how they responded. Instead, the disciples, they immediately note the impossibility of feeding this large crowd of people in this remote place. Not a word is said about what Jesus did the last time they were faced with a similar situation. They act as if the first feeding miracle never happened at all. Have the disciples forgotten what Jesus did before? Let me ask you. Have you forgotten what Jesus did last time you were faced with an impossible situation in your life? Don't answer out loud. (laughs) Have you noticed how short our memories are when it comes to the faithfulness of the Lord in our life? And how fertile our imaginations are for how terrible things might become in our life? Mark Twain said in his latter years, I'm an old man and have known a great many troubles, but most of them never happened. (laughs) Rather than letting our imagination run wild with how terrible things might get in our life, let's work on reminding ourselves of how faithful the Lord has been to us in the past, strengthening our confidence in Him for our future. 34, how many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. Well, they're starting out with more food this time than last time. This ought to be easy. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish. And when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And they in turn to the people. So Jesus thanks God for what they have and then has the disciples distribute the food to the people. In verse 38, it says, The number of those who ate was 4,000 men besides women and children. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got, whoops, yeah, after Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into the boat and went to the vicinity of Magdalene. It says here, there were about 4,000 men in the crowd that day, in addition to women and children. And what kind of dining experience did these people have? It says they all ate and were satisfied. I love that description because the Greek word translated satisfied, it means they all had as much as they wanted. They ate their fill. They had full happy bellies when this was over with. And the Lord provided abundantly. It says that they had seven large baskets of leftovers. More food left over than what they had started with. If we were to collect the ideas we see in this story for how we are to react to impossible situations in our life, they would include three things, I think. First is thank the Lord for what we do have. Second, remind ourselves of his faithfulness to us in the past. And third, trust him to provide what we need. Well, in closing this morning, the importance of remembering the Lord's faithfulness is the big idea I want us to take away from this story today. Psalm 103, verse 1, it says, Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being praise His holy name. 
Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. That's closing prayer. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us, that you are always faithful. You are always good to us, Lord. We ask that you would help us to remember that, that we would remember your past faithfulness to us, Lord, as we look at our present and our future, rather than letting our imaginations run wild with how awful things would, are certainly going to be and how disastrous everything is, Lord. Let us remember your faithfulness. May our confidence be in you. Make that so, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.